It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at cboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at cboc.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor, too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to afternoon of day two here at the Seabox online convention. And uh, Dr. Destiny, we're going to jump into establishing yourself as a resource. And we just before we hit record, we were actually it was great to see. And I see this all the time with Seabox people sharing. You know, or, you know, a discussion happens and all of a sudden it's, well, you know what, afterwards, give me a call and we'll talk about this. Uh, People are making themselves available as resources, but I think we maybe want to take this conversation to a little larger parameter and talk about how you make yourself a resource to the general world, especially for business organizations. So what's the first step? What's the first step? Wow. That's like, that's, that's hard, right? No, the first step is, I, I mentioned this earlier during our um, different sessions, and, and as Jeremy mentioned, that these sessions will overlap in discussion a little bit, um, and maybe a lot of it, but, you know, what do people come to you for, right? Like, what are people, I mean, do you have friends that are always calling you about certain things? Do you have people in your workplace asking you questions about the same topics? Do you have, like, do your kids come to you for one thing rather than, you know, the other, like... What is it that people are coming to you for? And I think that's a good place to start to see, okay, well, because a lot of times we project what we assume people would come to us about, or maybe what we're interested in, or maybe what ideally we would like. And I think we can move in that direction. But first, stop and think about what do people already come to you about? Because that's your most authentic self. That's your most natural setting, as I say. And if you're best in your most natural setting, then sometimes don't stray too far away from it because that's what makes you you. And that's where you can really thrive, especially in the IO community. I, I say this a lot, IOE stuff, you know, being really comfortable uh, in a setting and doing IOE stuff is the ideal. So when we're talking about establishing yourself as a resource, ask yourself, what am I already a resource for and for whom? And start there. I really like that. You know, if my friends and family are coming to me for advice, Maybe I can get paid for that. That would be so good. <laughs> Linda, let's go to you. So I think there's one myth that I'd like to dispel is that you don't need to know everything in order to be a good resource for people. One way to do that is to really know your network, right? Who can I get the answer for you from? Who can I connect you with to get you that answer? You don't have to know all the answers for everybody. And one of the things... Several years ago, when I was I, I was working, I was mark doing the, the corporate marketing for a hospital. I had five different product lines to to market, and we didn't always provide everything that the client wanted. But what I would do is I had a network of people who I would refer people to. 
you do not lose your clients when you do that, right? Because they know then you are the resource to come to for what they need and what the answer is, because then they don't have to do the research on their own. They know that they're going to get a good result, a good answer from you. Doesn't matter if you're providing the, the service or the answer or someone else. You are their resource for all things in that area. So I I strongly suggest that you don't have to, to understand that you don't need to know all the answers. You need to know who to get the answers for them from and then follow up. Did that meet your need? Did you get what you wanted? Those kinds of things so that if they didn't, you can still help them out. Lee, let's go to you. What she just said is so true. And I just want to build on that just a little bit. You know, when I was in the Navy, you know, when I when I became a chief, they told us that everything is as the chief. Well, it's not that you're expected to know everything. The chief's mess knows everything. And so you know who to reach out to or you know who to reach out to, who knows how to react, reach out to. And it's the same thing. But I would say the one step away from that in civilian world is that you don't have to act like you know everything. So if somebody comes to you, you can actually increase your credibility by saying, I don't know, but destiny does. And so you have just shown the reality that, you know, the, the, uh, the authenticity that I am not going to play the role that I don't fit, but I know the person who can't. And so now I have established myself as a resource being that person who can connect you to the person who can help you. Also, if you're consulting, you know, you can do one of two things. You can refer them to someone else, say, you know, I can't help you, but Linda Ann can give her a call. Or you can say, hey, Linda Ann, I got this contract. Would you like, you know, I'll throw you some consulting fees if you come in and help us. So you can partner with other people. And uh, somebody made this comment earlier about this community being willing to share. We are and we need to be. So don't get so wrapped around this is my job, my sandbox, my you know little little kingdom that I can't let everything out that you can't say, hey, look, I don't have this, but I can I can pay Linda Ann, you know, five hours of consulting fee because she's got the answer that'll take me 30 hours to figure out and only halfway do the job she's gonna do. And then later on, maybe Linda Ann goes, Hey Lee, you know, I got something you can help me with. Do you mind jumping in? Or hey, Linda Ann referred me to you. The, the reciprocity is huge. And I've seen that more in this community than I've seen in a lot of other communities. So well, it's, it's great that we're all a resource for each other and that's incredibly beneficial, but let me pose something to the group because this is what I've seen. And I think this is one of those areas where, you know, people who are IOs who have come into an organization, maybe in HR, they have all of these resources. They want to, you know, get them out there. They want to go to their organization. You know, I know you hired me for HR, but I have all this IO background and I see all these issues that I can contribute. I can be an incredible resource. And their response is, oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, we hired you for HR and we need you to make sure people dot the I's and cross the T's. So how do you, you know, actually get people to listen and to you know, allow them to know that all the issues that they're looking at, you have solutions. Or as you say, Lee, I might not have the solutions, but destiny does. You know, how do we move people to actually take action? Lee, let's start with you. The short answer is that sometimes you can't. And with discretion being the better part of valor, you have to understand the position you're putting yourself in. Because sometimes a squeaky wheel doesn't get the oil, it gets replaced. 
you have to keep that in mind. Also, this is one thing that I learned early in my career that really not even directly to IO. It's that when you get a job, start training your replacement. Because if you can't be replaced, you can't be promoted. And so many people forget that and they do this black box thing like, I can't let this info out because then they won't need me. And in some cases, that may be true. But I found more often than not, if somebody else can step in behind you, you can go on to do other things, such as IOE stuff. So if I have trained somebody who can walk in and do my day-to-day job or part of my day-to-day job, and I say, hey, look, I've got Joe over here who's trained to do this aspect, and I've got Jenny over here who's got this other aspect. So that, you know, I, I've, I've got some bandwidth, and I see that we have this issue that uh, I've got some ideas about. Then you can start that conversation. And, but you have to be very careful because change is hard. People don't like change. And you have to be very careful about how you approach it. And you also have to be very careful. Uh, I've known more than one person to burn a bridge with their boss because the boss wasn't listening. They went around and talked to the boss's boss and the boss got mad about it. So you have to be very, very careful with your, you know, your chain of authority and, and the open lines of communication. And if you are approached by someone above your boss, never be the senior guy with a secret. Make sure that you tell them before they get backdoored and surprised, and that's going to make your day very uncomfortable. Yes, yes, it will. But you know, one of the questions I'm always asking myself is when we're talking to business, you know, we we don't seem in, in CBOC here to talk much about how getting an IO to come in and work with your organization will improve the bottom line. Like, you know, I've seen you know reports out there that you hire an IO and productivity can go up like 10, 15% in the first six months. So do we need as IOs to start talking about, to, especially to business people who are focused on the bottom line, this is what we can do for you positively? Well, that's well, absolutely <laughs> true. And, you know, it, it, the challenge that we have is, yes, we know there's an ROI. We may be able to give a percentage, you know, even, you know, there's research out there. Kind of, We kind of specialize in that. But when you go in and you say, I can increase your, your people's productivity by 10%, what does that really mean? You know, that mm-hmm. sounds great. And it, and, but 10%, I mean, it, you know, it's, but if you can get the access to the information where you can say, hey, look, you got a hundred people and you got a million dollar payroll, then you can start putting some, some money to that where you can say, hey, look, we can do this, and you're looking at having to potentially increase this, but if we can increase our productivity to people you plan to hire next year, you may not have to hire. And so you can compensate your people a little bit better, but it's still going to be probably less than the net of those two people. So, I mean, there's there's ways that you can do that, but it's going to be organization-specific, and you got to the, – the trick is getting in the door and getting that lay of the land to do the – you know the the, the cost-benefit analysis and the root cause analysis and those things where you can actually speak intelligently. And, and for God's sake, all you new people that have all this great information, never walk in and talk about research. Don't do it. The research says their eyes are going to glaze over, they're going to drool on themselves, and they're going to show you where the door is. Don't do it. Just go in there, present the information. And if somebody is curious enough to ask, then you can say, well, you know, Smith and Jones said, and this, you know, but when you start talking that, they don't understand and they don't care. So just, you know, just the facts, ma'am. Give them that. All right. Thank you. Dr. Juliet, let's go to you. So I, I wanted to back up what Lee said. You brought up some amazing points. So if anyone has heard of the Society for Diversity and you've taken the training, 
they speak to you and emphasize the business case, right? For implementing a, a DEI program. And that business case is how do you leverage DEI to make money, save money, or achieve organizational goals? And this is very good, you know, job interview advice as well. When you're preparing for a job interview, you want to pull the strategic plan for the company, right? Pull their annual report. Start identifying what their objectives are. Because if whether you're internally or coming in from externally, now you can see, okay, here is a challenge and here is how it's impacting your ability to meet those goals, right? Sometimes it's not only saving, it's not only making money, but it's saving money. I know when I worked, I was in the Managing Foundations program at the Postal Service. I worked, my primary job was working for the change of address program. And I got a rotation to work in the customer care centers. And I found that there was a significant amount of volume for change of address calls from customers who would sit in, I don't work for them anymore. So I guess I can say that they would sit for 30 to 45 minutes in the queue all to get to an agent. And the agent is like, I'm sorry, we can't file your change of address for you. And the customer is now leaving frustrated. And so I took that back to my business unit and I said, wait, I found all this data and it's holding customers in the queue. And for the customer care centers, how long a customer stays in the queue is one of their biggest strategies. It's one of their biggest goals. And so over time, I was able to speak to my leadership, work with our partners, and eventually I worked with them to implement a solution where we were able to put an option for them to, what is it, for them to get a text message of the link to file their change of address online. And the calls related to change of address being forwarded to an agent got reduced by 21%. And I say that because now we're improving employee productivity. I was not doing that under an HR role. I was not doing that under a human capital role. I was in my IO program, but because I was able to say, listen, our goal is to save money. And that actually saved over $100,000 for that unit. Remember you using human resources, it's how much we have to pay them. It's how much it costs for them to do each task, right? How much it's costing the organization. Even us sitting in a meeting right now, imagine we're on a work call. That's costing our organization. And so when you're able to say, okay, I see that you're trying to save money, right? I see not only are you trying to make money, but you're trying to save money. And you also have these strategies in place. You're using these human resources. And it, and the fact that they can't really do the work that they really need to do or focus on the critical the critical things. Now that's taking us away from achieving these strategic goals. So what I would do is, you know, familiarize yourself with your company's strategic plan, familiarize yourself with what the CEO or the administrator wants to drive. What is their mission, right? For the postal service, it was moving the mail. And so when customers are calling and complaining about certain issues, if we can't streamline those, we can't move the mail. For those who are familiar with experience in project management or Lean Six Sigma, you can couple that with your, your um, IO experience to now, again, be that resource that says, hey, here's how I can help the company save money. And you don't always have to wave the IO flag because I found that when you say IO to start with, they try to interpret it as, as Dr. Destiny said, they try to interpret it whichever way they want. I remember telling a manager, hey, you know, my passion is research. And they said, oh, you're so good at looking stuff up. And I'm like, okay, I, <laughs> I didn't know that's what research meant. 
Um, and of course, you do look some things up, but there's more to it, right? And so it's better for you to let your work speak for itself and to also, again, identify those pain points and say, okay, if you know if they're big on continuous improvement or using applying a lean model, use that lean Six Sigma language. If they're big on project management, bring about a waterfall or agile approach to achieving whatever goals they need to, to achieve and implement the people focus in it, right? Because we need the people to drive the results. And from there, start looking at how much that could save them, how much they could make, or what other opportunities that could be identified for them to make revenue or to save on costs. Well, thank you very much. Linda Ann, let's, let's go to you. So a couple of things. One, back to how to establish yourself as a resource. And one of the questions you had, Tom, was that uh, how do you get people to take action? Well, one of the ways that I think is effective is when you go ahead and put two people together, if you make a referral for someone to say, here's somebody who can really help you with that, use an introductory email where you're going, you're sending it to each of them and saying, here, I'm introducing you for this topic, et cetera. That doubles the opportunity for the, them to make a connection because you have two people that have the opportunity to take action. And, and it's also a, a warm introduction so that they already know that I've been introduced to you and, and you can just reply in the email. So that makes the process easier. To what Dr. Juliet was, was mentioning, tracking your impact. It's really important that wherever you are throughout your career, that you track your impact and do it monthly, quarterly, and at the very least annually when you update your resume annually at the time of your performance review so that you can say, okay, I had that 20% impact on X, or I saved the company this much, or we came in under budget at X, so that you know what your real value is to an organization. And you can communicate that easily in your resume or CV or whatever, or in your interview. The other thing I would mention is, is to number, if you're in an interview is, where Dr. Juliet said, understand their strategic plan. It may not be easy to get the strategic plan. Sometimes that's proprietary, right? But you can say, what are your top three strategic goals for this year are? And hopefully, you know, if if, they, if that person can't tell you, that tells you something about the organization, right? Mm -hmm. And the other thing I would say is also understand, get yourself to understand what opportunity costs are for an organization. And this, again, goes to the, the efficiency and understanding that if they are doing X inefficiently, they are not doing Y, making you money. And so being able to identify and quantify what an opportunity cost is for an organization can really mean a lot. Yeah, it certainly can. Uh, Dr. Destiny, did you have something you wanted to share with us? There's so much always to share. <laughs> <laughs> not, not necessarily related to all of that. I think everyone did a great job of covering. I think sometimes we get so caught up as this idea of like resource and once again, that ideal, you know, job position, that job title, all of those things when actually most of the time you find out what you're really good at by accident. Right. So like right. whether something happened and then they're like, and then you're like, oh, you know, I know this thing or I know this, this platform or I've heard this or um, so I think that's, that's the interesting part here is that for that to happen, though, 
you have to kind of put yourself in situations, right? So you have to kind of grow that way where you're putting yourself in situations in an organization or maybe even through an interview process where you kind of accidentally realize what you are capable of. Because sometimes, once again, we go back to yesterday, one of the biggest challenges we have in this field, especially as we're going and figuring out our career path, is that that idea of that, that confidence, that lack of confidence, and that lack of giving ourselves that DUE due credit. So making sure that that takes ownership. And so all of those things happen through time, happen through practice, happen through, you know, validation, personal validation, um, professional validation. So, and, th- and, and that has to build. So getting away from this idea of like, we have to know, we have to know exactly what we would do in a situation. Duh, 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 duh. No, it's usually happens by accident or happenstance most of the time. Yeah. Isn't destiny? <laughs> Destiny. Yes, it is destiny. <laughs> destiny will just grab you by the hand and pull you through. Lee, let's go to you. Real quick on the, I'm going to flip the script here for a second, because there's a great point Dr. Juliet and Dr. Destiny both kind of hit on that we don't always know our impact. We don't always know when, when you speak to someone about, you know, their performance or whatever, hey, what did you do? Yeah, yeah. Because to them, it's just their job. I mean, I struggled with this for 22 years in the Navy. When I want to do my performance review, well, it's just, to me, it's doing my job. When somebody else is going, well, you know, there's a little bit more to it than that. So one way that you can deal with this, and, and this may actually help, like when we were talking about imposter syndrome yesterday, you know, some of this can help is go to a trusted mentor and say, will you interview me? And have them ask you questions and then record it, whatever, get those answers. And when they say, okay, well, tell me about this, tell me about this, give me more info on that. And then you all of a sudden have this data set to use an IOE type term that you can use to go, wow, I did some cool stuff. To me, it was my daily job, but to the outside person, it's like, that's darn near wizardry. And so you can then take that to step outside yourself to be able to get that view from somebody else's perspective, which can help you in interviewing. It can help you in proposals. It can help you in writing your resume. It can help you in writing your uh, your performance appraisal input or feedback, or just answering a question when somebody says, so what do you do? And uh, so I would just put that out there that sometimes being a resource includes using your resources. Thank you. Carolyn, let's go to you. Okay, I need to go backwards because I'm one of those people that when I don't understand an acronym or term, I've got to ask. So I'm going to ask uh, Dr. Nelson or Dr. Cubbage, what did you mean by value proposition or anyone? Okay, so value proposition, I work with this a lot, especially in our military entrepreneurship side of things. Um, You know, what is the benefit that you are bringing to a company, for instance? You know, what is the feature? You know, what is your area of expertise and what is the benefit to that client? or customer. It just depends on which aspect you're looking at it. Um, But when you think about your value proposition, think about value propositions of businesses that you enjoy going to. For example, the value proposition for Chick-fil-A, or what is the value proposition when you go to Chick-fil-A? When you think about it, um, if you were to go to Chick-fil-A versus going to McDonald's, what is that value proposition of those two organizations? Think about yourself as that brand, an IO psychologist or practitioner. You're the brand. So what is your you know, feature, your area of expertise, and what is the benefit to that person who's going to be receiving it? 
That's the best way I know how to explain it. But Dr. Nelson, if you'd like to chime in as well, I'm sure you have a different explanation. Dr. Cubbage, I, I stayed quiet to give you a few seconds to, to speak because I know I've been talking since yesterday, um, but you you summarized it perfectly. I would say, and this is an exercise, and I put it in the chat as well. This is an exercise that I did in a training years ago. When someone asks you, what do you do for your company, right? Or for your employer? Oftentimes, it's easy for us to say, I am, and then list your role, right? But what I would encourage you to do is really think about how you support the mission and the end users in your company, how your work ties to that. So even a janitor could say, I ensure that uh, employees have a safe work environment for them to function in. That means in cleaning, in, in making sure that the place is sanitary and so on and so forth, they are also supporting how employees meet the mission. And so in your role, that's how you also want to craft your value proposition. What is the value that I can bring in terms of how I use my skills to support the mission of whatever the organization is? And I know Linda Ann mentioned again, like you may not always be able to access some of the proprietary documents, but something as simple as understanding what the customers need, right? How do you contribute to the customer? How do you empower the workforce to meet the needs of the customer? Hopefully that uh, answered your question. Uh, Linda Ann, let's head over to you. I wanted to share um, my favorite story and in, in, because I work with organizational alignment and focus on getting people to understand how they contribute organizationally to accomplishing the, the company's purpose. You know, my favorite story is the one about um, years ago, President Kennedy visiting NASA. Mm-hmm. And he came upon, he was walking through, he came upon a gentleman who was obviously um, a custodial mem- staff member. And he asked the gentleman, what do you do here? And the gentleman said, I help put people on the moon. And if you think about how valuable that is, he felt like he contributed. He was engaged. He felt valued by the organization, all of those things. And if we can look at how we contribute to making people feel that way about where they work, it's it's amazing. And so it's important to understand how, like, for example, if I say to someone, well, I contribute, I work with companies to uh, help them get strategically aligned, that impact helps with employee engagement and ultimately employee retention, which can return, you know, depending on your how much you pay people, $25,000, $50,000 in any given year, whatever. So it's important to get, as, as has been stated, to understand how you can bring that back to what they are trying to accomplish. Thank you very much for that. And if I could just you know, kind of switch the conversation for a moment. It's great for IOs to be you know, resources for industries, but also CBOC itself is an incredible resource for this community, and it's not just uh, you know IO psychology or HR, but if you're you know, especially if you're a grad student and you're considering you know what career, what niche do I want to explore? Take a look at the CBOC page where it lists all the experts that are involved with the organization, and chances are 
you will find somebody who's operating in that niche who may be able to be a resource for you. Uh, and CBOC goes beyond that as well. For example, we mentioned C, uh, Cynthia Lieberman a little earlier. You know, she's the marketing guru. So, you know, if you're looking at starting your own consulting firm and you're looking to how do I market that, Cynthia is a great resource that you can use. And there's other resources like that. So it's not just IO and HR. We're looking at the whole business aspect and how you promote yourself. So there's incredible resources on the site itself. Uh, Destiny, back to you. I think we've got about um, we've got about eight, nine minutes left. Um, anything that we haven't covered in this topic yet that you want to get to? I think we actually have until two. Oh. I, yeah. No, I mean, we have lots I, of time. We can, we can end early. <laughs> we can totally end. I mean, if they want, I don't think they want to do that though. <laughs> yeah. And look, Fine. Carolyn's got a question. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we can move. Yeah. I'm not going to let you end early, Dr. Pree. There's too much good information here. So you don't get off that easy. Nice try. <laughs> Um, I was thinking, and as we were talking and I was just kind of holding it till you gave me an open opportunity. So thank you. When we're talking about trying to work within our current organizations, because obviously we don't want to just jump ship, you know what I mean? Right. And I like where I work, but I'm not getting those quote IO-ish opportunities, but I'm seeing things that need to be changed. So I go to a supervisor and I say, Hey, I noticed this with, I don't know, the awards process. It's not, you know, can we do this, this better? Or, or I'm seeing this with the hiring process. Can we do or do this better? Here are some of my ideas. Or I found this gap or this problem. Or with DE&I, we do our, you know, how do we get become more inclusive? Whatever the topic is, right? And you're in an environment. Obviously, the first answer is to change the environment, but you can't do that overnight. And you don't necessarily want to jump into a new job because you're technically comfortable and you know you can make an impact, right? How do you gain that? opportunity or those experiences when you have leadership saying, uh, I know we have a problem. It's great, but you know, I'm only here for another year. So I don't want to address it yet because <laughs> I've got a new commander coming in. And well, okay. Sorry. That was a little personal, but you get what I'm saying. How do I you, military people you're getting and I'm seeing the head shake, but how do you build yourself in IO, right? Find those opportunities to participate in a project that you can say I participated in and I actually made an impact. Because if you have all your resources and all your authorities chopped off at the knees, every time you come up with an idea, you feel almost like you're being pushed down. And I guess that's where a lot of my discomfort and lack of confidence comes in because everything I bring up, I can't get it to go anywhere. And it's like, where am I failing in this change management? But as I think it was Dr. Preet that said earlier, it's not that we can change things. It's a cultural change. And I can't change the entire culture of the organization. But you have to get that one leader's ear or that one person's support. But then they say, I just, I don't care if you do the research. I don't want to know the results. And then you're like, well, I'm back where I started. So uh, now what? So you, when you're in that conundrum of trying to find your place, and, and I say IO because that's the term we're using here, but in industry or whatever it is doing what IO does, not calling it that or whatever. What recommendations, or is it just you got to skip ship or find it from somewhere else? Go ahead. Have fun with that one. Sorry, yeah, that's, questions. <laughs> that's a great question. You know, and it gets back to, you know, how do you make people listen? Because you can only hear no so many times before you stop speaking up. So experts, let me go to you. Uh, just jump in if you've got, uh, you've got a solution for us. I'll start humming the Jeopardy theme. <laughs> Alexander, let's go to you. So I think when you're looking at those rows, and I had had my hand up earlier, but when my phone drops on its connection, it takes my hand down. And we're, we're talking about when we're 
in the lower positions, like an HR generalist role, how do we get into these areas to be able to provide these changes that we want to make? And this question touches on this too, so I'm going to address both of these. When you look at it from kind of the sales perspective, you have your value your value proposition that you want to present to someone, but you lack that social capital to be able to convince them that you can really do this. And when you look at kind of the sales prospect, you might have a really great product, but you need someone that we would consider a champion inside the organization. The next bit that you really want to look at that though is, is you need to find someone that you can get on your side to understand that yes, you can provide this value but you also need to make sure that that person's value is good with the people that they're going to have to present it to higher up the chain. Because you don't want to present or have this person present as like the CFO if they constantly present stuff that doesn't really return good value. They're not going to have that same value to that CFO. So those are kind of the big ways to look at it is try to find people that have value to you that understand your value proposition and then be able to get them to champion you to the people who will be able to make those key decisions. Sounds again like maybe we need to do a little research. Uh, Lee, let's get back to you. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack here. The short answer is that sometimes you can't, and, and you have to ultimately come to the decision at some point whether or not you are that, that salmon trying to jump a waterfall just a little too high. Beyond that point, there are opportunities often for incremental change. You know, I mean, it's kind of like the story of the little boy with the with the starfish beach covered in starfish, little boy throwing them back in the in the water. And somebody tells him, you know, you can't save them all. You know, you can't make a difference. And he said he threw one in and said I did for that one. And so sometimes what you can do is incremental, small, 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 much smaller than you want, really. But if you can make it better for one person, then that, then you've made the world a better place. So sometimes you really, really have to iterate your your stuff into smaller bites, and it and it's often very difficult. And you have to do it takes some introspection sometimes. You know, I mean, sometimes maybe my ego is getting in the way. I know I can make this better. And and another way with uh, sometimes you have to be a little. That's what I'm looking for. Sneaky. I didn't want to use sneaky, but kind of. <laughs> Uh, there, there are instances where you can evoke a, a necessary change, but the only way you're going to get it done is to somehow convince the person above you that it's their idea. You have to lead them. And don't manipulate. Don't do any of that kind of stuff. We stay away from that stuff. I mean, you know, psychology gets bad rap for things like that. But you have to, you know, the the breadcrumbs to help lead them to their own conclusion that just may happen to be the one you're trying to get. But if they can come to that conclusion based on the little, the, and, and it's got to be small because it's, you know, like Jeremy brought up the bowl of frog thing. I mean, you got to make it small so that they can follow that path on their own until they get there and they go, hey, I got this great idea. And you're like, that's fantastic. You're a genius. And uh, or you can, you know, sidestep to that is if you can say, look, this is an idea, but it's going to make you look like a rock star. And so when you convince them, well, maybe it's not their idea, but I'm going to, but I'm going to make them look really good when I do this. Well, then a lot of times you could sell that, but you know, to Carolyn's point, you're absolutely right in the military. When you got somebody rotating out in a couple of years, every time you get a senior person in, they spend the first half undoing the stuff, the guy before them, the second half doing what they want to do. And then it starts over again. And so most of your changes have to be at a lower level. I mean, you know, thankfully at my level, when I was in, I could just kind of do a lot of that stuff. And they went, Eh, Chief's got it, but you know, not everybody can do that. 
Well, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I have had the experience where in meetings I've proposed something and it gets turned down. And then like a month later, I'm with the same group of people and someone comes in and goes, I had a dream last night and they present my idea once again and it gets accepted, uh, which quite frankly, I don't care. My idea got accepted. Uh, But let me ask you this, because I've seen this too, where someone can come in and go, you know, I've, I've been here with the organization for a while, and there's all these changes that could really positively affect of us. And what we hear is, well, that's great and everything, but, you know, we've been doing it like this for 50 years, and it's working for us. And can you change those people, or do you just go, thanks, and brush up that resume? You can in some cases, but it is going to take the extra work of what's in it for me. And it's going to be a harder sell than normal because that's you always have that sell. But you've got to say, I, I get that you've been doing it this way for the past hundred years, you know, however however old you are, old guy. But I can make your life better. I can make your day easier. I can make you look better to the people above you. You know, and you're gonna have to you're gonna have to build that rapport and it's not gonna be fast, but you can chip away at that iceberg by saying, Hey, look, this is going to benefit you. I'm not doing, you know, I saw somewhere it said, it's amazing the things you can accomplish when you don't care who gets the credit. I can put it on my resume. So I put it in the chat earlier. I can put it on my resume. I can put, you know, I can bring it up during my performance review or whatever. But in the moment, if I don't care who gets the credit, you know, if I work for Tom and I'm cool with Tom taking credit for it, hey, makes my life easier, bully on Tom. But you got to do some soul searching because not everybody's okay with that. You know, we all got that little bit of ego and because I've had that same experience, you know, recently, my, my last boss did that to me, Tom. Well, thank you very much for that, Lee. Linda Ann, let's go to you because I saw your head shaking. That was one of the first things I was going to say um, to Carolyn. And that was, you know, you have to decide, is it the is it most important to see the change or to get the credit? You know, that's really, you have to let it go if it's really important to you to see the change. The The other thing too is, identifying really what motivates whoever it is you want to have the conversation with. What is their motivating factor? Is it recognition on their part? Is it actually making the, is it, you know, revenue, financial help or efficiency? It's, it's whatever motivates them is, is one of the key things to, to getting it implemented. And the other thing I would say is work the room first, whoever it is that they're going to be working with to have to implement that change, work that ground first and have conversations with their, identify, see what they're tell, coming up with as their roadblocks and craft that solution so that it addresses those. And you have buy-in to whoever you're trying to get motivated to make the change. So you've already gathered the support and, and taken off the objections that they might see when they go to put it out there. and. It's really important that they that you work with that first, that motivation and and making sure you've taken away the roadblocks, because otherwise it's going to be if they embrace it, it'll be a short term embrace and it'll go right back to old behavior. Yeah, very, very true. Uh, Amanda, let's go to you. I saw Carolyn saw my chat about um, doing it in a smaller scope. So if you can find a smaller scope that you can pilot it in or even persuade them to try a pilot. Because then you can take your learning experiences from that pilot and apply it to something larger. Mm-hmm. Also, 
when you do participative decision-making, I tell um, supervisors and managers this all the time, when you do participative decision-making with a team, even if the team doesn't have the right, or where am I going with this? Even if the team has other ideas because they have felt heard, and if the decision doesn't align with what they had, they'll have more buy-in. You could do a similar approach with those that you're trying to gain the buy-in from by asking them to contribute their ideas to the like the futuristic of how do you want this to look and have them put some emotion into it because then you'll get the emotional appeal of getting them to have that buy-in into it. But sometimes starting with a smaller scope where there's less less risk because if I recall correctly, you're in government, government's very risk averse. This at least gives them the opportunity to step in with their toes rather than taking a full dive in where there's discomfort with that. Uh, Let me ask you something, Amanda, because you mentioned, you know, teams and we've always, you know, since the start of industry, we've always worked in teams, but it seems in the last, especially maybe two or three years, that there seems to be a lot more focus in, in, organizations and industries right across the board of more of a team concept when it comes to employees? I think it really depends on the industry and who's the leader, because I know we have seen, even just in popular media, certain leaders taking a it's my way or highway approach. And we see that the entire culture just of that area just completely degrades. But uh, I'm not going to name names, but I'm sure everyone has a couple ideas that pop into mind. But when you take that team approach, you're seen as someone that is going to bat for the team um, as a leader. And you can have that form of leadership because you want to, it helps with engagement. It helps with motivation. And it's going to help with retention. The higher your employees are motivated, engaged to stick around and stay with you, they're going to be retained longer. So if you can take the perception of the less directive, mm-hmm. but then that's also getting back to that. There are still some that really tightly hold on to the carrots and sticks and the command and control approach when that is so antiquated. So it, it, it's a very, it's not a clear answer, but yeah, teaming is a very necessary approach where you need to have a team approach if you want to have something really take off. But to Carolyn's point, that participative decision-making and getting a team, especially if it's just a small ERG or subgroup within an ERG, allowing you to do that buy-in, you can say, hey, we've tried it out over here and it's worked really well. Let's try it here. So then you can start building a ground of um, credibility along the initiative you want to build within house. Thank you very much for that. And <laughs> it's it's interesting because, you know, I, I recently was having a chat with someone who, who was very, very excited about the training they were doing on how to manage people. And I made a comment of, oh, well, I, I kind of have the belief that you manage projects, but you lead people. They didn't know how to respond to that. <laughs> and then I went, oh, they're in the middle of training. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Uh, anyways, Carolyn, let's go to you. Since you're telling all the jokes, I thought I'd tell one real quick with regards to the whole scenario of, you know, we've been doing it for 50 years kind of thing. And and you guys may have already heard this, but I'm not really good at telling jokes and stories. But the way I've always taught about this in training is the way somebody's taught me is to understand it like making a roast. So I don't know how many of you heard this roast story before, but I'm going to share it with you. So there's this little boy that's with his his, his mom and they're in the kitchen and they're making this roast. And 
So she's got the thing. She slaps it. She throws it down. She puts a seasoning on, gets it all hooked up and everything. And then she gets this big knife and she chops off either end of the roast and puts it in the pan and puts it in the oven. The little boy goes, mama, why do you chop off the end? Does it give it more flavor? Does it make it more juicy? Da, 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 right? So then they go on and she goes, well, that's how, that's how I cooked it when I was a kid. Grandma taught me how to do that, you know, whatever. So they go to grandma, has that same conversation. And just to speed the story up, it goes to the next level. Great grandma's there. And she comes back and the whole conversation happens again. And great grandma comes back and says, well, I don't know why your mama and your grandma do it, but I did it because it didn't fit in the pan. And so when I tell that story at a little more length during the middle of a training, People used to, would, I'd see these managers make faces and be like, oh, well, dang, you know, so there is more than one way to cook a roast. And if we do it the same way we've always done it, maybe it's not the most efficient way. And that's a lot of times how I'll bring that conversation in. But since you brought that up earlier, I wanted to kind of throw that story at it. I do want to tell everybody thank you as well for that feedback on that last conversation, because it, it's valuable coming from one environment. Now, the other piece to that is not only in that situation, but when you have the leader, that's afraid to step up. They want, may fully buy into your idea. And again, government gets it. You fully buy into that idea, but because they know their leader soon to leave, they know it's not going to go anywhere. They just squash it. So that's the other piece of that. So anyway, I just thought I'd share that story. Hope everybody enjoyed it. It was fun. I had never heard that story before and I loved it. Uh, so thank you very much for that because I'm going to steal it now. But let's also maybe Dr. Destiny talk a little bit because I think we've got five minutes. It's one thing to make yourself a resource, but if a tree falls in the forest, does it make a sound? You can put yourself out there as a resource, but once again, you've got to be able to promote yourself because if no one knows how wonderful you are, you ain't going to make any business. So what are some of the things that you have done to actually get people to know that Dr. Destiny is out there and ready for your call? Sometimes she is, sometimes she's not. No, I'm just kidding. But really it's been about just engaging in forums where it matters, right? So finding those forums, whether it's a group setting, whether it's just sharing on my own, you know, platform, whether it's, you know, creating a, like I've, I mean, the whole, the whole networking thing with like, you know, Lee and everything started because I was like, you know, I really wanted to, I want to talk to people that, that communicate like I do and, you know, share information and all of that, you know, knowledge sharing. And so I started a networking monthly thing. And then eventually Lee took over that and it became like a weekly thing. But the, the idea behind that was because I wanted to have conversations with what's going on out there. And so just kind of giving yourself opportunity to do that, engage, go on forums, read into things, you know, there's so many places you can start. And earlier, the conversation during the lunch hour, during the networking hour was about referrals and was about the job hunt and was about, you know, are there all these ways that organizations are reaching the, their potential candidates and things like that. And the interesting story about my personal journey is that over the last probably seven years now, six to seven years, almost all the jobs that I've gotten have been because people have reached out to me for certain expertise. And that expertise, they acknowledge because I share it with them. Um, and I share it with them in various kinds of ways, whether it's just sharing something that's already existing or commenting in a forum or speaking up when I'm able to, or when, you know, and ha have I felt comfortable and confident in all these settings? Heck no. No, sir. No, ma'am. No, 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 no. But I put myself out there because I always say, you know, and you've probably heard this too, like 
if you never ask, it's no. So who cares? You know, if you ask, maybe it'll be yes, right? So you have to kind of put yourself in situations where you're forced to be uncomfortable, but that you speak up and be a voice. Because if not, who wants to live in regret, right? Like, because there have been many times where in the past, when I wasn't feeling confident enough to talk about what I knew or what I was capable of or blah, 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 or who I knew that could help. I look back and go, well, maybe I should have just spoke up. So for me now, my, my whole uh, mantra in life is that like, I believe in service beyond the uniform. And so if that's my mantra, then I'm going to move forward. And I'm going, part of that is being a voice whenever I know that I can help, or I know that I can serve. So that's how I see things now. And that like, once again, makes it really easy for me to strategize my brand, makes it easy for other people to know what value I can add to them. And obviously organizations are reaching out very intentionally and that's validating. So, you know, it takes time, it takes confidence, but you all are very capable in this space and you all have so much value to add. And it's, it's really difficult when you're just starting out, especially networking, especially trying to put yourself as an expert out there, but it's incredible if you stick with it, how it eventually, you know, all of a sudden you're not the one making the phone calls. People are calling you. I'll just share this with you briefly. About a month ago, I got a call from a a community about six, eight hours from here looking for a director for a musical theater production they were about to do. The way they found out about me, one of their stage manager was one of my former students. So, you know, that's just the way it sort of works. So it's really tough when you're starting out, but it does get better. And eventually, all of a sudden, your phone is ringing, and that's a really nice feeling. And with that, I think we are actually now pretty much out of time. So what's coming up next? Yeah, so next is the competitive advantage. Hire an IO psychology professional. And Tom, we know that it's become your saying. Hire an IO. You should hire an IO. We should hire an IO. Everyone should hire an IO. And yes, you should hire an IO. So looking forward to that session. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At seabock.com.